Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 305 being recorded on Thursday, May 4th. May the 4th be with you. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back. Jason and Scott Show listeners, happy Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. Hope everyone had a great Star Wars Day. Jason, uh, people can't see you, but you are wearing your Jar Jar Binks cosplay. I kind of assume people just assume I'm always wearing that. <laughs> you should do the whole episode in uh, in Jar Jar speak. Yeah. Well, so Jason, <laughs> what's the new with the Amazon? Yeah. Uh, I feel like people don't get the Jar Jar one. Uh, I did. I did do an act during COVID when we're doing all this um, pitch theater online. I did uh, a pitch on Halloween in a Darth Vader mask. Oh, nice. And we won the pitch, so I feel like I should be doing costumes more often. Awesome. You can always intimidate them, and it's called the Darth Vader intimidation clothes when you wear the the Vader. Exactly. The Vader suit. Exactly, and they had the voice changing thing, and so it was kind Ooh, of Oh, cool. nice. Yeah. I find your lack of faith. Yeah. There's a lot of... Very disturbing. Yeah. A lot of, uh, lot of quotes you can use in a pitch. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, not a... Uh, a large enough chunk of the total addressable market are are geeks. Yeah. Which Badly. I feel like is wrong. Yeah. I don't know how I got in this like funky, like uh, creative advertising uh, world with all these like hip custom clients. Like I totally don't fit in. Yeah. I've been a misfit toy my whole life. So, so not going to stop anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, Embrace it, it Jason. Uh, today that we won a, a big new client, LVMH, and so I like went on LinkedIn and joked that like it was largely thanks to my my stature as a luxury influencer. Nice, congrats! Your TikToks on luxury have uh, won the day. I know, I know. For a long time, people were like, "Why are you wasting your time with that?" And, and now they know. Yeah, cool. Well, we have. Uh, it's been a while since we dropped a pod because we both had spring breaks, and then you've been traveling a bit. Um, so it's great to be back. Yeah, it's super fun to catch up with you and with the audience. Um, I feel like the last uh, show we did was right after Shop Talk, so I did get to see a bunch of folks. Um, and now, you know, it's a uh, trade show season is starting to heat up, so I have a bunch of upcoming trips. So uh, if if uh, listeners are going to any of these shows, make sure you make a point to catch up with me, and uh, you can see the Jar Jar costume in person. Um, so I'm actually doing this show from the famous Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C., because uh, I'm in town for the Home and Commercial Products Association. I'm doing the keynote for their annual conference tomorrow morning. Um, and then uh, I'm going to SAP Sapphire, which is their big customer show in Orlando in uh, on May 15th. I, I feel like uh, there's a fair amount of our listeners that go to that show. Um, and then two fun ones that are, you know, core commerce shows after that. Uh, we have Commerce Next uh, by our friends uh, uh, Scott Silverman uh, is in New York in June, so June 20th. Um, and I'll be doing some fun st- uh, stuff on stage there. And then 
NRFs, you know, has their kind of future looking uh, executive uh, digital summit uh, on the beach at Terrano in Rancho Palos Verdes. It's called the NRF Nexus on July Ooh. 10th. And I'll both be giving a keynote and I will also be interviewing Kara Swisher. So I feel like I'm going to spend an hour just making fun of Scott Galloway with her. Nice. Yeah, that's good. The dog. The dog is off the porch. Woo. Exactly. I was thinking about like maybe bringing a mask. Um, I, I've already, you know, I have audio collection of a lot of my favorite Scott Galloway predictions. Yeah. Um, many of which didn't come true. Uh, Mace, Macy's would bury Amazon in uh, apparel. That's yeah. My yeah. But I feel like this kill. is Amazon's going to be roadkill. Like Freaky Friday. Like, so like Kara is this like super famous interviewer and I am interviewing her and we're doing it at Tierno where she, Started code conference, so it's it's very topsy turvy. Yeah, yeah. You should bring red chairs. Is that her trademark thing? I, I assume she just travels with one of her own. Yeah, <laughs> that Herman Miller red chair. Yeah, B U I O R C. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I actually think she's not with Vox anymore. So I don't know. You know, she may be in withdrawal. Not she may have uh, said mm-hmm. said goodbye to the red chairs. We'll have to ask her. Look, that's that's question number one. Yeah. Um, but besides all of that, uh, we are just getting started on Q1 earnings season. And, you know, of course, for most of our listeners, one of the most important uh, earnings calls happened last week. Yeah, it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show if we didn't have some Amazon news. So on April 27th, which was last Thursday when we're recording this, Amazon had their earnings. Um, it was what Wall Street would call a clear beat, meaning both the top and the bottom line were a beat. Uh, this was welcome news because Amazon's earnings have been kind of like mm, not not misses, but not amazing. Uh, so revenues came in 2% above consensus, which is a slight beat. But what got Wall Street very excited was operating income came uh, in 57% above. And longtime listeners will know I usually cover the retail portion of Amazon and Jason covers the cloud or AWS part. We're going to mix it up uh, because um, I read all the reports and what was most interesting right now in kind of the world of Internet stocks, uh, the whole world has been turned upside down by ChatGPT, um, which is put out by OpenAI, Sam Altman startup who is partially owned and supported by Microsoft. They're an investor and the whole uh, infrastructure runs on Azure, their cloud computing platform. This has been a huge win for Microsoft because uh, it's enabled them to add a chat GPT like component to Bing. Um, And, you know, the buzz is that, uh, you know, search is dead. Um, A lot of people are even speculating, maybe even apps will be dead. You know, maybe, Maybe you don't really need apps on a phone if you could just talk to your phone and say, hey, uh, book me a restaurant reservation at 630 at the, you know, one of these three restaurants. Um, you know, why do you need an app if an AI can go do that for you? So there's, there's a lot of people in the Wall Street and tech world are, um, I would say there's like this wall of worry around this new innovation. Uh, and this is real. So ChatGPT was the fastest product to 100 million users what was it, Jason, like four weeks or something? It was like, an, you know, if you see yeah. a chart, it's like this a vertical wall, whereas like Facebook and some of those kinds of things were previous record holders for this. And it took, you know, years. Uh, and so, yeah, so, it was like you know, two months to a billion or four months to a billion users. 
yeah, so it, it's just this crazy adoption curve unlike anything we've ever seen before. Um, so, you know, there's this was top of mind um, when this came out. So the uh, so Wall Street's pretty obsessed with what's going on with the cloud. Also, Amazon's cloud division has been slowing their growth. It was the you know the darling of the Amazon portfolio, and now it's been been slowing because as we head in this recessionary period. Um, also, another concern is uh, you know we covered this a little bit last time, but Silicon Valley Bank failed. Uh, we've had all this kind of startup uh, craziness, and um, a lot of those startups use cloud computing at Amazon. So, uh, so that was what all eyes were on, and uh, you know what we saw was the growth did slow to eleven and a half percent, which was less bad than what people were thinking. So it was kind of viewed as positive, which is always one of these counter. Wall Street's all about expectations, not like the real absolute numbers. But eleven point five percent growth is, you know, this is this part we've been covering this for for you know years at this point, five years, and it's always growing north of fifty percent. Um, uh, but this time it really slowed down, and they're even projecting for next quarter it'll slow to eleven. Um, now Amazon did, Jassy did talk a lot about AI. They're, they've talked about how they're going to, you know, a lot of people. The other problem with ChatGPT. Is it looks the prior the prior AI thing we all spent a lot of time with, uh, which was Alexa, now feels wildly inferior because you're having these really robust conversations with ChatGPT, and Alexa's can do like, you know, it's not really like at that level of you know conversational AI. Um, you know, you can get some weather, maybe play a song, and and you know a couple other little things, add something. You know, it'll talk to you about do you want to reorder your dog food. Um, and, you know, that's about it. Right. So very, very. Uh, and then, you know, that used to be cool. And then now in a world where we're chat GPT, it feels inferior. So Amazon, like Google, is a little bit on their heels from this. And they basically came out and said, we're going to do a lot around Alexa here. And it will, you know, we're dedicated to that being by far the best voice assistant. Um, and we'll be adding chat GPT like capabilities. Uh, but then for AWS, they basically said, look, there's all these language models out there um, and we're going to be neutral. We'll, we'll have all kinds of different flavors kind of thing, you know, so whatever you want, we'll have. And the, the, one of the concerns is these large language models use a ton of GPUs and those are expensive. And Azure is adding a ton of workloads from this. And uh, in their conference call, they went as so far as to say, it's it's like accelerated growth dramatically at Azure. You know, they're getting all these loads that they would have never seen before, thanks to their relationship, and um, they're scaling up this GPUs, and so it kind of feels early innings like maybe Microsoft has got like this a bit of an advantage over both Google and AWS. So so you know, it was interesting because I'm I'm saying all that because what happened is they announced they were up a little bit that day and then they announced and they were down and they've been kind of sideways since then. So in what was cl a clear beat quarter with AWS not as bad as you would think it would be, you would the numbers would say oh the stock should go up five to ten percent, but they didn't because I don't think everyone really liked the body language around you know what's going on with ChatGPT and and Amazon's response. Yeah. So that was a uh, that was a long part, but that was I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, the whole world in like the last you know you know six months has been turned upside down by this, and 
it's always as an entrepreneur that always gets my attention because this is where unique opportunities are created for disruption and all kinds of, you know, what happens is one of my favorite books is the innovator's dilemma. When something new like this comes along, the people that were previously the leaders have a really hard time adapting to it because they get baked into their business model. So for example, to pick on Google, it's very hard for them to offer a chat interface on the core Google search because every pixel of core Google search is like so highly optimized and them hitting their numbers relies on that, that real estate basically not changing that to change that real estate and experiment with something that is expensive and not monetized is almost impossible. Uh, you know, it's a, it will certainly make them lose you know, mountains of revenue and even worse on EBITDA. So, so it's really kind of fascinating to think through the strategy here of what's everyone going to do and how do they adapt to this new world. And to some extent, Amazon, not as bad as Google, I would argue, but, but Amazon's a little bit of a, in a pickle. Um, it got even so bad. Uh, also around the same time, Jeff Bezos was at Coachella and he was just out there dancing and wearing this kind of fun butterfly shirt. And everyone's kind of like, you know, it almost felt like, uh, fiddling while Rome burned kind of thing. <laughs> so, so a lot of people are like, and, and then, you know, so Disney's CEO has come back and a lot of people are projecting that maybe we'll see a day where like a Larry Page comes back to Google um, and a Bezos comes back to Amazon. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens. This next, next three to six months are going to be really fun to watch in the world of large trillion dollar internet companies to see, see what's going down. Oh, for sure. Uh, and uh, I keep saying this, but we're going to have to do another deep dive on AI and chat GPT because there are so many. It's changing so fast. And there's this whole like shift from keywords to um, prompts and, you know, like all of, you know, Google's intrinsic strengths are suddenly becoming weaknesses. There's this interesting battle um, between like these AI uh capabilities as destinations versus these AI capabilities as sort of infrastructure that, that you add to any destination. Right. And so, you know, the, the interesting thing about chat GPT, you can license the, the um, GPT four engine and build it in your own apps or your own website. Um, but 1.2 billion consumers a month are going to chat.openai.com. So it, that's now a destination on the web that's bigger than Bing. Like more, yeah. more people last month went to their website, OpenAI's website, than went to Bing. And that's a game changer. Like it, it's a, it feels like a huge missed opportunity. Side note that uh, there's not ads on, <laughs> on that website yet. I'm sure, I'm sure that, that that is coming imminently. But so there are all these like super interesting changes. Um, I kind of feel like, even if all that wasn't playing out, like just the the fact that uh, AWS is decelerating a little bit, like would be the news from this earning thing. And it's what everyone's talking about. And it's almost a shame because it's kind of masking what otherwise like is a pretty remarkable quarter compared to like what most of their peers are likely to do. Yeah. Yeah. Walk us through some of the highlights that you saw in the non AWS side. Yeah. Well, so the, the first thing, um, if you look at North American GMV, um, it grew 13% in Q1. Um, so that, uh, that is a deceleration from their Q4 growth. But like to put that in comparison, 
uh, U.S. retail sales grew 4% in the first quarter. So, so you know, this is kind of back to pre-pandemic levels where Amazon's growing uh, despite being, you know, the, the largest or second largest retailer in the U.S., depending on how you count, um, growing quite a bit lar- faster than the industry. Um, you know, normally we would, we compare Amazon's growth to, to all of retail's growth, but also to all of e-commerce's growth. Um, so the U.S. Department of Commerce comes out with their Q2 growth numbers in a couple of weeks. So May 18th, I think, if you want to mark your calendars, um, we'll, we'll do a show and talk about that. But um, just kind of uh, interpreting the data and extrapolating U.S. e-commerce in Q1 is likely to grow about 10%, which is kind of a recovery for e-commerce. But still, that means Amazon, the largest e-commerce player out there, is growing faster um, than the industry as a whole, which is you know, typical for Amazon, but, you know, not very typical in the rest of the world. Um, so the retail story was was really strong and it was driven almost exclusively uh, by your favorite part of the retail ecosystem, the marketplace, right? It was almost all 3P sales, um, which I want to say grew 16% um, uh, or 15% um, uh, for the quarter. So, uh so uh, 3P continues to be a super important part. Um, and, uh, you know, I always like to talk about the ad business. Um, ads were up 21%, which is a, um, a deceleration uh, uh, of the ads business as well, just like AWS. Um, but a couple interesting things. Uh, there's a ton of headwinds for traditional di- digital ads right now as the economy is getting a little more challenging you know a lot of brands are cutting back on their spend um, because of the privacy issues they're cutting back on a lot of the traditional digital channels um, so you look at like meta's ad business in q1 it grew three percent google's ad business grew two percent pinterest was the leader of those kind of traditional platforms their ad business grew five percent um, and Amazon, which is has a bigger ad business than Pinterest, Amazon grew twenty one percent. So that that growth, you know, uh, continues to be remarkable. Um, I did a quick uh, back of the napkin uh, estimate, and I I uh, I know AWS generated about five billion dollars in earned income for the quarter. Um, the ad unit probably generated seven point one billion dollars in in earned income for the quarter. So quite a bit more profit to the bottom line coming from that ad business than coming uh, from from AWS. Um, and then, you know, Amazon, you know, as they always do, they kind of pepper in some favorable stats. So they talked about how um, they they had 26 million customers for same day delivery in Q1, which is 50 percent growth year over year. So, you know, you 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 kind of you've seen a lot of other retailers that as the economy has gotten kind of tough, they've kind of ratcheted back their service level a little bit. Like you're seeing a lot of people starting to charge more for returns. Um, you're starting to see delivery promises get stretched out a little bit. Um, and, you know, Amazon is is uh, kind of adjusting their returns policy as well. But like they're, they're all in on that fast same day delivery. Um, and it seems like uh, consumers are, are continuing to embrace that. Um, there's this uh, kind of big strategic shift that they talked about, uh, Scott, that I know you've been following, which is kind of the shift from a national fulfillment model to a regional fulfillment model. Um, and this is all about getting more efficiency. Um, so the idea is, uh, you know, in the old model, you placed an order and, you know, they they 
shipped from whatever warehouse uh, fulfillment center had the goods in stock. So often that meant air shipping things from pretty far away and mold, you know, and, uh, um, you know, your, your multi-cart order could have goods coming from a lot of different fulfillment centers. And, you know, this quarter, the focus is really on redesigning the whole fulfillment center to optimize, um, how many trips they have to make to your house and how many, um, how much of the goods can all come from the same fulfillment center. So there's a, a laser focus on kind of getting the inventory in each fulfillment center right for the market that it's serving. Um, and, uh, the, you know, in their, uh, investor call, the, uh, the CFO was talking about how like they're starting to, they're already starting to unlock, um, significant improvements in, in their operating margins as a result of cutting down on the amount of trips in order to serve the same amount of GMV. Um, and they think there's a lot of headroom to continue improving that. Um, have you been following that kind of regional shift? It almost feels like they're reinventing the, the, you know, kind of against innovators dilemma, they're reinventing their whole fulfillment model, despite the fact that they have the, the world's largest fulfillment model. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is really interesting. And in some ways, maybe the go puffs of the world kind of showed them how to do this, ironically enough. <laughs> and, you know, and this surge of same day delivery, I think they're having to, I think, you know, in the early days of same day delivery, I remember Sebastian Gunningham, he was the SVP saying, you know, he was at our conference and he said something like, we just put it out there to see, and we were surprised by how many people use it. And then, you know, they had data that indicated this is like five years ago that, um, it was addictive because you, you, um, uh, you know, we, I forget which of us coined this, the zero, zero friction addiction. So once you have one of these low friction experiences, you're like, nah, yeah, you know, of course I would like it. You know, I'm morning this morning. I'll like it the same day. Um, but then that's making them forward deploy a lot more of the the product to be able to satisfy that that demand. But they they have the data to do it. The key is it's a you know there's there's this you know something like 300 million SKUs out there in the cloud that you can buy. Um, a small portion of those percentage wise, but large sales wise, is in the network of FCs. And then the system learns what to put at the edge near you and. That same day thing, you know, there's a set of SKUs and it's probably down to 10,000 at that point that they know those are the most frequently asked same day things. And it's going to be things like toilet replenishables, toiletries, um, uh, dog food for me, uh, all those types, personal items, healthcare, beauty. Uh, and you know, it's not the, it's not the Xbox or something that can kind of wait. Uh, well, I guess some of that could be, but, uh, you know, there's, Plenty of stuff people are happy to wait for. So that that edge network uh, uh, allows them to forward deploy five to ten thousand SKUs and get them to you really fast. Yeah, and I I think what's interesting is that it turns out that the the those SKUs that are needed for same day delivery in Raleigh are not the same as the SKUs that are needed in Chicago. Um, and AI is really helping them sort of optimize those those fulfillment centers. And the numbers are actually a little bigger than your you're, you're saying there, there are now like 300,000 same day SKUs in the system. And in some markets there, they have over a hundred thousand SKUs available for same day. So it, it like, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of expanding from the head, head in SKUs to, you know, at least the chunky middle SKUs, um, on that same day delivery. And it, and it seems like that's continuing to work for them. Um, I just think it's, you know, again, a lot of people that had, 
you know, the huge infrastructure lead that Amazon had in fulfillment centers, you know, would uh, find it hard to disrupt that model um, and pivot to a new model. And it seems like, you know, to Amazon's credit, um, they're, they're not afraid to disrupt themselves. And it feels like that's kind of what they're doing here. Um, and it, it seems like at least preliminarily it's working. Uh, you know, they're also um, o- over the, the COVID time, there, there have been some capacity constraints um, and they, they rolled out a lot of technology to uh, help, help uh, third party sellers better manage their own capacity. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing from third party sellers that that is going better, that they uh, have, you know, uh, are better able to uh, predict the costs and the the capacity that will be available for them, and they're not getting as many unpleasant surprises as they as they kind of had had in the past. So that that stuff is all interesting. Um, I also think Amazon's big enough that they're they're you know kind of a um, a good surrogate for for the actual consumer economies at this point. And so it's interesting. Um, you know, they talked about the American consumer, and and you know, uh, North America was where a lot of Amazon's growth was. Um, they they uh had a statement that uh they're they're continuing to see the US consumer as being cautious uh that she's definitely moderated her spending on discretionary categories uh that uh, she's trading down to more value oriented asins um but you know there continues to be a healthy demand for staples um and you know i think we we've, we've heard similar things from other big retailers like walmart and target so that kind of felt in line but what was interesting was Europe, um, the the growth was much slower, but it was a significantly higher beat versus expectations than North America was. And they had kind of an interesting editorial on, on Europe. They said that uh, European uh, demand, while cautious, came in better than expected. Uh, we see customer confidence increasing with inflation tickling down in the EU um, and that's kind of at odds with a bunch of other retailers that uh, that are uh, competing in Europe that are still, you know, kind of talking about um, the uh, consumer demand being really repressed uh, in Europe and and the the European consumer really struggling due to even higher inflation than than what consumers are experiencing here in North America. So um, it it either sounds like Amazon's having a better go of it than a lot of other retailers in Europe, or um, Amazon is being the first one to s- sort of see the economy um, uh, uh, turn a little more favorable in Europe. So um, I, I kind of found that interesting. Yeah. The, I haven't been tracking the Europe stuff, but it's good to know. Yeah. Well, again, you know, the um, historically like Europe is smaller uh, than North America for Amazon, but it, you know, because it's smaller, it was growing faster um, but, you know, there have been more challenges, supply chain disruptions. Um, there, there's more uncertainty in a lot of the European economies. Um, and so, you know, it, it's like for, for global companies and particularly brands that do business everywhere, um, that European softness has been a challenge. The one outlier of all that is luxury. Um, so it, it does feel um like kind of a bifurcated economy that like luxury can, you know, is actually kind of bounced back in Europe and is continuing to do pretty, pretty well worldwide. Um, while like high inflation is, is uh, hurting a lot more of the kind of staple industries a lot more. Yeah. Having survived the great recession of 08 and 09 at Channel Advisor, 
the weird thing about the data was the luxury seg- segment accelerated. Yeah. So the, uh, the uh, wealthy folks do fine during uh, economic downturns. It turns out. Yeah. This was a weird one in that, like that's for, that was for sure. True. Where the demand was shifted in unusual ways, because often you have a lot of uh, uh, really wealthy consumers are also tend to be really mobile consumers. So you have a, Historically, you'd have a lot of really wealthy people from China that would go to France and buy a lot of luxury goods. And in COVID, of course, nobody was going anywhere. So there was this huge spike in luxury goods in China. (laughs) So like the overall worldwide demand for luxury was very high, but there were these weird mismatches where the, the demand was not coming from the markets that it typically came from. And now it feels like it's, it's, uh, reverting more, uh, it's starting to revert to more traditional patterns. Wow. Cool. Uh, so there was a, another interesting uh, earnings call this morning. Yeah. Uh, so Shopify came out with their earnings and uh, they've had uh, just to kind of set the stage in the during COVID, they were off the races and they've had a really hard time in the last year, kind of in that post COVID era as they um, they invested so much and then COVID, the you know, e-commerce growth reverted to the mean, as you've uh, been so good at pointing out. And they thought it would just continue up and to the right. Um, and so they did about a 10% uh, reduction in force, I think it was a year ago, maybe a little longer. Um, and so then this morning um, they came out and they beat lowered expectations. Um, to put this in perspective, their growth has slowed to 25% and they were consistently growing well north of 50%. So they're, they're definitely, this was good for a while. They were kind of contracting, but now at least they're back to growth. They are losing money, but you know, they should get back to profitability here in a quarter or two. Um, but the big surprise was, uh, you know, if you recall, they were going to take on Amazon and they started really building out some fulfillment and, they bought uh, a couple companies to do that and started building out this whole infrastructure called Shopify Fulfillment Network or SFN. So they announced on the call today that they are just basically abandoning that whole strategy. And uh, the assets they previously bought in aggregate for over $2 billion, they sold to a company called Flexport for a billion. Um, so that had to hurt. Um, so basically a billion dollar um, you know, loss on the strategy. Um, and they basically said, uh, you know, the future is AI and that's where we're going to put our effort. Um, and then when they sell this unit, they're also some people will go with that. Uh, but they're also announced they're doing a 23% that will include some of those people. It's not, it's not entirely clear. Um, you know, how many will be core Shopify versus the, the people leaving with the SFN. I think it's, um, relatively small. You know, I don't think the SFN was like this huge, you know, people operation like you have at Amazon. Anyway, um, so they're going to reduce headcount by 11,000 people to 9K. Um, So uh, from 11,000 to 9K, uh, so about a 23% reduction. Uh, These things are always kind of uh, a little tricky emotionally because you feel for those people that are losing their jobs and found out this morning that's going to be no fun. but then Wall Street loves a good reduction force because that means more profit. So the stock, uh, this was a huge win for the stock because Wall Street has hated, hated, hated this idea of you take this super high margin software business and you layer in a super low margin um, fulfillment business. Uh, so, you know, Wall Street, this is part of the innovator's dilemma. 
once you've baked your margins in at 85% or whatever, you can't then go to Wall Street and say, ah, we're going to bring that down 15% to 70 because we're going to do fulfillment. And that's a, you know, a 30% margin business. You blend that in with our 85, you get to, to 70 or whatever it is. Um, so, uh, so Wall Street was very happy to see them abandon this. Um, it does raise the question. One of the reasons they got in this is you and I talked a lot about Shopify versus Amazon. And, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, Amazon is raising the bar on e-commerce. We just talked about this to same day. Uh, Shopify was going to arm the rebels so that they could at least keep up with two day. Now they're abandoning that. You know, there's going to continue to be, you know, this could be a big moment in history where Shopify messes up and, you know, what's AI going to solve if you have this great product recommendation or something that doesn't show up for five days and Amazon eats the Shopify merchants lunch because they just are better at logistics. So, so this is, this is a big decision throwing in the towel and it's going to be interesting to see if this is wise or not. I, I obviously lean towards, I don't think this is going to uh, be a great indecision for them. Yeah, it, it is tricky. Um, the, uh, you know, you, I, I would also mention there's this like, you know, scary service from Amazon looming on the Shopify horizon that it, it, it's not clear Shopify has really declared what they want they're going to do with yet, which is the the buy with prime service, um, which is, you know, in in, in effect to, to use that really solid Amazon fulfillment network, even when you sell stuff on Shopify. Um and so, you know, maybe they're they're dumping all the Shopify fulfillment network stuff uh, and they're just going to seed fulfillment to Amazon. We'll have to see. Um, I I do. I, I have to slightly correct one thing you said, like uh, Shopify is huge on talking about e-commerce regress to the mean. Um, that's actually not true. Right. Like it, uh, when they talk about that, they're talking about the ratio of e-commerce sales to retail sales. And it's it's. Partly true for that, um, that, you know, we kind of went from uh, 14 or 15 percent of all sales being online to 17 or 18 percent. And we bounced back down to 15 percent, um, you know, that that shape varied wildly, you know, depending on the category. So Im digitally immature categories like grocery and automotive had kind of a permanent spike, whereas like apparel, you know, had kind of a temporary bump. Um, but. In absolute dollars, e-commerce is way bigger than before the pandemic. E-commerce is 90% up from, from 2019. Um, and so when when they kind of use that as an excuse for the layoffs, I would say, like, don't buy it, right? Like, the, like the, there, there's a lot more demand for digital goods than there were in 2019. Uh, and Shopify isn't laying people off because that demand has receded like they're laying people off because they haven't perfectly figured out what the right business model is. And from my standpoint, they're still a little dyslexic on who they're even trying to serve. They, they still have all this language around, you know, serving the small independent business, the mom and pop and arming the rebels and all that. But like, you know, when you listen to all the success stories in the earnings calls, it's, it's staples. It's like, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's bigger or mid-sized specialty retailers that are moving to the platform. It's not the rebels like Kindle Jackson and uh, uh, Kindle Jenner and Staples are not the rebels. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, like, I, I think they like that, that narrative, but like, I'm not sure they've com 
perfectly align their product offering to the the companies that are like driving the bulk of their GMV growth. And when they, you know, do focus on the long tail mom and pops, um, it really makes that GMV number kind of obfuscated because there's so much churn over there. Right. And they go, Oh, our GMV went up 25%. Um, well, is that because like all your, your customers are thriving and they're all growing or is it because you just added way more companies that will have a nine month mortality rate than you, than you did the, the quarter before? Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, I, I like I, I definitely like uh, there's a lot of uh, strong um, uh, sort of advantages and and uh, um, experiences still in the Shopify ecosystem. And it feels like shop pay is getting some traction. The shop app has gotten a lot more traction than I originally predicted. And now there are some legitimate um, uh, marketplace features in there. There's there's lots of things going for them. I certainly would not write them off, but I, I do think. Um, the like in the next couple of quarters, we need to see some more clarity about like what they want to be and where their growth is really going to come from. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be. We'll be tracking it closely on the show as we have been, so it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I don't think either of us had this in our predictions, though. Sadly, yeah, no. Uh, I mean, I was definitely caught by. Uh, I never thought those acquisitions made sense, but I certainly thought that, you know, they would hold on to them longer. Um, so I, I don't know, I guess if you're an investor, like, like once you realize it was the wrong decision, like there's probably something good about like cutting bait quickly instead of trying to drag it out, uh, drag it out longer just because you, you don't want to own up to the mistake. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, that, uh, feels like a pretty good recap of the two big earnings. There's, uh, you know, a, a, a bunch of the traditional retailers will be record, uh, reporting over the next four weeks. And of course we'll have us department of commerce data, including Q1 e-commerce, um, later this month. So, uh, lots of reasons to have another, uh, new show. And I, I still do think we got to get that, uh, that, uh, large language model AI, uh, show on the, on the books. Yeah. Yeah. We will, uh, we're through our vacation period and we should have some time to lay that down. And Jason, um, you've got a keynote tomorrow and you got some slides to work on buddy. So we're going to make this a short one in the pantheon of Jason and Scott show lengthy episodes. Yeah. 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 We'll give a few minutes back to all our listeners and I will go write a keynote for tomorrow morning. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. It's always good when you're up against deadline. So you're going to crush it. Uh, I I, uh, I feel like the one thing I have going for me is the pres- the content will be very timely. Good. Yep. Uh, fresh. Well, we like to call awesome, it fresh. Uh, thanks every uh, very much everyone for listening. As always, if you enjoyed the show, uh, we sure would love it if you jump on iTunes and give us that five star review. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 